And yet there are lessons that we can learn. So that's what we're called to do this morning, to look into history, but not just see it as a history lesson. See it as a life lesson. Because here's what we find. Although technology changes, geography changes, people are still basically the same. No matter what their time, no matter what their culture, the same basic problems of sin afflict human beings. It afflicts us all. So as we come to Zechariah, we're coming to a book that looks back and it addresses some of the failures that the people of Zechariah's day were experiencing, but it also looks forward, forward from the perspective of Zechariah, but even forward from our own perspective. You see, there's a lot of prophecy that is being addressed in Zechariah as well. Now, as we come to this book, Zechariah was a contemporary of Haggai. And both of them were prophets who were addressing a group of some 50,000 repatriated Israelites who had come back to build the temple of God. They had an important job to do, but as we saw when we looked into the prophet Haggai, there was a problem. They encountered some challenges in rebuilding the temple. Many of the surrounding communities did not want to see Israel come back to the place to where they would get a toehold in the region. So they did whatever they could do to stop the progress of first building the temple and then rebuilding Jerusalem itself. Because of the pressure from those outside, the people of Israel found that they had stopped doing the work and they had forgotten what they had set out to do. So Zechariah is giving a clear call to the people to remember what God had called them to do, to come back to the place of faithfulness in rebuilding the temple of God because the temple was the core of their community and their worship of God. And isn't it important that we understand that community, the fellowship of other believers... And the worship of God is equally important today. Rather than looking at Zechariah as, oh, those people, how do they keep getting things wrong? How could they be so out of touch? Perhaps we need to come with fresh eyes and see if God has a message in the book of Zechariah to us. Maybe we need to see some of the pitfalls that the people in Zechariah's day fell into so that we can avoid those pitfalls ourselves. Zechariah is an important book in the Old Testament. In fact, I found this quote from the Bible Knowledge Commentary, and it reads as follows. In an oft-quoted statement, George L. Robinson has called the book of Zechariah the most messianic, the most truly apocalyptic, and eschatological of all writings of the Old Testament. Now, let me translate for you. That is commentary speak for some very basic principles. Here's the idea. Messianic, having to do with the promised Messiah, Jesus Christ. The most truly apocalyptic, it talks about the disastrous results of man's sin and how that's going to come to a close. And eschatological carries with it the idea of end things, 
things that happen in God's prophetic plan for all time. So that's the translation of what they said, and that's an important book that we're looking into because of these truths. As a matter of fact, another writer, and his name is Everhard Nestle, said this, the messianic emphasis of Zechariah is quoted some 41 times in the New Testament, either quoted or alluded to 41 times. So there's a lot to see as we enter this book and a lot for us to apply to our lives because we not only want to look back and look forward, but we want to look inward. We want to look at ourselves and see if there's something that God would say to us as we look at this important book. Now, Zechariah begins by talking about some things that had gone on in the history of Israel. As a matter of fact, what we find him begin to address in the second verse is that a dysfunctional past broke fellowship with God. Look at the second verse and notice it says something very short, very basic, but very clear. The Lord was very angry with your forefathers. There was a divine anger that had set in on Israel because of the forefathers' sin. And we need to understand why this took place. Some people, as we've looked through the minor prophets, some people have the mistaken impression that God is a God of anger. As a matter of fact, you'll even hear people sometimes say, the God of the Old Testament is the angry God. We need to grasp the fact that, no, God of the Old Testament is the God of the New Testament. And that God does express anger in the Old Testament, but it is an anger that is directed toward the sin of man that is allowed to go on and on and on because God is patient and long-suffering. But eventually, man's sin piles up to the extent that God responds to that sin. And he responds in righteous indignation because of the cycle of sin. And, you know, that's something we see as we go through the Old Testament. There is a cycle of obedience and disobedience for Israel. Israel is obedient. They agree to follow the commands of God. And that brings blessing. Now, that blessing arrow could go up if people responded with joy and thanksgiving to the blessing of God. But what often took place was rather than going up and growing in their obedience and their appreciation for God, the arrow went down because the blessing led people to complacency. They started looking at all of the blessing of God and they started to take it for granted. And rather than being thankful, the people of God began to disregard God himself because of all of the blessing that they were experiencing. So that complacency led them to disobedience. If I'm not thinking about God, if I am not viewing God for who he is with a thankful heart, I'm going to become disobedient. If I'm not thinking about him, I'm forgetting him. And if I'm forgetting him, I'm forgetting his call, his principles, his commandments. And this is what happened to Israel so often that complacency would lead to disobedience. And when they were disobedient, God loves his people. So like a parent who loves their child, they will discipline that child. God disciplined Israel. And so what happened when this discipline would take place, 
Israel would repent. And then the result of repentance, obedience. Now, if only that would have happened just once. But it was a cycle. No sooner would Israel return to obedience and God would bless them, they would fall back into this cycle, to this trap. And what we need to avoid as followers of God is that same type of mentality. We need to understand that sin matters to God. And we need to understand that we can disregard the teachings of God, the truths of God, and become completely complacent about sin and the purpose of God in our lives, and that will lead us down a path that we shouldn't follow. So really, Zechariah is calling the descendants of the forefathers who brought about the Babylonian captivity of Israel as a discipline, brought them into the land of Babylon as exiles for some 70 years, and now they have returned, but they had the potential of falling right back into the same trap that got them into such trouble. And so Zechariah is saying, look, if God was angry at your forefathers, will he not be angry with you if you follow the same path? Sometimes in our study of the Word of God, we have almost the same attitude as these people. We look and we say, wow, how they got off track. Oh, my goodness, their complacency, it's terrible. How could they do that? And what do we find? We're emulating the same mindset, the same thought process. We become complacent in our faith, and that complacency will ultimately lead to disobedience, and that disobedience leads to a break in fellowship with God. Now, you would think that the children of Israel who had come back to Jerusalem, who were living in the midst of rubble, who every day when they went out their tent door or the house that they had built for themselves and walked along the streets of Jerusalem and saw the rubble of destroyed walls. When they walked over to the temple and they would see there at the temple the footprint of what used to be the temple of God, you would think that the people would have thought, wow, we'd better stay as far away from that path as we possibly can. But they didn't. And you know why? We become insensitive to reminders that are all around us all the time. There's a commercial. I think it's a Febreze commercial. It shows a woman in a van, and she has a van load of sweaty, stinky junior high boys. And she's taking them from football practice home, and the commercial goes... Febreze takes care of the smells that you've gone nose blind to. And as I thought about that commercial, I thought, you know what? We need something that keeps us from becoming spiritually blind to the things that are all around us that can affect us to where we disregard it, to where we are desensitized to it. Isn't it easy? to become desensitized 
to sin. I think that's what was going on here in Zechariah. The descendants of those who had experienced the discipline of the Lord, although the evidence of where sin leads was all around them, they were desensitized to it. They had forgotten. So Zechariah is reminding them. He's saying to them, Repent. Don't follow that path. If you have repented, continue on the path of repentance. Don't return to business as usual, but follow through. This call is a call to them, but I believe it's a call to us as well. How many times have we found ourselves confronted with sin, Respond to God, I need to do something about this. I'm going to make a commitment to repent. And for a while we do. But then life sets in. Distractions present themselves. And the thing that we should have repented from comes right back. God is telling the people up front of Israel, this is where a path of disobedience leads. It leads to the just response of God, of anger for the sin that we commit. But you know, I'm thankful it doesn't end with the second verse. Zechariah would be an awfully short verse if, or book if it did end with the second verse. It goes on, to the third verse. And in the third verse, we have a declaration from God. And it's a declaration we've heard a couple of times as we've gone through the minor prophets. And we heard it just last week when we were looking into Malachi. And it's a simple statement from God. Return to me, and I will return to you. But I want us to look carefully at this third verse in Zechariah chapter 1. Look at what it says. Therefore, tell the people... This is what the Lord Almighty says. Return to me, declares the Lord Almighty, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. You think Zechariah might be making a point by repetition. Whose name is repeated three times in the third verse? The Lord Almighty. And I think that is by design. We sin when we lose perspective on who God is. When we're not thinking about who God is, it's easy to slip into a disobedient lifestyle. And so Zechariah is here reminding his people that it is the Lord Almighty who invites you to turn from your sin and turn to him that you might experience the fullness of a relationship with him. Think about this title, Lord Almighty. Most of you know that when you look in your English Bibles and the name Lord is in all capital letters, that it's referring to the name Jehovah, Yahweh. So Yahweh is the covenant God, the faithful God, the God who is self-existent, 
but the God who enters into covenant with his people. When Zechariah is saying, you are being addressed by Jehovah, Yahweh, he's reminding them of their special bond, that special relationship that God had called them to. And then Almighty. What he's saying there is, this is the one who has no limitations, who is able to accomplish all that he sets out to do. This is the powerful Almighty God. Sometimes we use the term Almighty so much we forget about what it really means. This is the Lord Almighty, and He was angry with sin, but look at the grace that He extends to those who err. Return to me, and I will return to you. Now, the very fact that God is saying, return to me, shows that the people that Zechariah is writing to were off track. You don't have to return or repent. That's really the sense of this command, return to me. You don't have to repent if you're not on the wrong path. But when God says, return to me, it means we've gotten off the path. And isn't it easy to do that? We're going along and we're thinking, hey, I've got this Christianity thing kind of figured out. I'm moving along and I'm growing spiritually. Yeah. And then we get distracted. Maybe it's a hobby. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's work. It's life in general. And we move off of the path of an intense love for God and a desire to serve and follow him, and we move on to something else. When that becomes true of us, God calls out to us, return to me. It's a gracious offer. God is saying, as you go down that path and as you are moving away from me, I am here, and I invite you to come back into a deepening relationship with me, not the path that you're following. I'm so thankful that the Lord Almighty is a God of grace, a God of forgiveness, a God who desires to have relationship with us. You see, what God wanted for his people and what God wants for us is that we might experience all that he designed us to experience. When God created man and put him in paradise, man and God walked daily in the garden. There was relationship. There was fellowship. But man chose to go his own independent way apart from God, and that caused a rift. That's not what God desired. That's not what God designed us for. He designed us to know him. So there's an invitation. To those who have never come into a relationship with God, there's an invitation to you that says, I'm the Lord Almighty, you have sinned, but I have provided a way of forgiveness for you. Now we know that way of forgiveness is the Lord Jesus Christ who died on the cross for our sins and open the way for us to know and experience all that God desires us to be. 
Jesus provides forgiveness for our sin. So when we turn from our sin to God, we return to him, we repent, God opens the way for us to experience it. But you know, there are believers who also get off track. We find that we become distracted by the things of this world and we forget Lord Almighty. And I think there's a call here for us as well. If you're off track, get back on track. Return to me, and I will return to you. Such an important passage of Scripture here because it is the Lord Almighty that we need. We, on a practical level, can experience all that he intends for us to be by his creation, by his design, when we turn to him. That's a call for us all. So here we have Israel. They had come back to rebuild the temple. They got distracted, started building their own houses, we know from the book of Haggai. They forgot about rebuilding the temple of God. And here are Haggai and Zechariah saying, return to your original purpose. Be about the work of serving God. It's a call to all of us. Now here's the warning. After the third verse, we come to verse 4, and what we find is that disregarding God brings terrible consequences. First of all, in verse 4, what Zechariah, the spokesman for God, the one who was sharing all that God had laid on his heart, for Zechariah, he was calling the people to disavow the sinful path of forefathers. Look at verse 4. Do not be like your forefathers to whom the earlier prophets proclaimed. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Turn from your evil ways and your evil practices. But they would not listen or pay attention to me, declares the Lord. Isn't the fourth verse a tragic verse? The descendants of those who stubbornly held on to their sin and their own personal selfish desires are being told, don't be like your ancestors. Man, I hope that someday if the Lord were to speak to one of my ancestors, that would not be his assessment of my life. Don't be like your grandpa. Don't be like your great-grandfather. Don't be like your ancestor. We want to set the example for good. Not set the example of, see this person's life, avoid it. Don't be like that. The children of Israel who brought about through their own disobedience the exile of all of Israel, what Zechariah is saying to them, crystal clear here in the fourth verse, is don't be like them. Now, what are the things that we're to avoid in being like them? Look at that fourth verse. And first of all, it says, to whom the earlier prophets proclaimed, this is what the Lord Almighty says. They were a people who received clear instruction from the Word of God 
through the messengers that God sent into their midst. You see, it wasn't a problem that they were not hearing, that they were off track, and that they were unaware that they were moving in the wrong direction. God had addressed their sin wholly and completely by sending prophet after prophet after prophet to warn them about the path that they were following. But a problem had set in. They had stopped thinking about the Lord Almighty. And they started thinking about themselves. They had stopped thinking about the eternal values that we should pursue. And they started thinking about the immediate gratification that they could find in their flesh. And that's why the Word of God says, don't be like them. Look at this call to them. Turn from your evil practices and from your evil ways. God laid out for them exactly what he wanted from them, and that was repentance. Stop doing the evil that you're doing. What we find as we look historically at the forefathers of these that Zechariah is writing to, what we find is, in disregarding the prophets, they had enough belief to think, we're in Jerusalem, we're where the temple of God is, everything is okay because we're protected as God's city where his temple is. They had enough faith to believe that, but they didn't have enough faith to obey. They weren't seeing God for who he is. And you know, as I think about this text and this situation, I think of where some believers are today. I have enough faith to say that I believe in God. I have enough faith to say that I might even be a follower of God. But my practice in no way reflects what I say that I believe. I'm doing my own thing. Words, easy. Actions, contradict the words. Guess which speaks louder? The actions. The children of Israel were going through all of the motions of offering sacrifices, of continuing to call themselves the people of God. But for the forefathers, none of their actions matched up. And as a result... They wouldn't listen to what the prophets called them to do. The last part of that fourth verse says this, but they would not listen or pay attention to me, declares the Lord. Now the prophets caught the brunt of the furor of a lot of the people who were hearing them call them away from sin to obedience. But their anger wasn't with the prophet in reality. Their anger was with God. There was a refusal to listen. And as a result, Zechariah is reminding all of the people that he is preaching to that consequences ensued. Look at verse 5. 
In verse 5, we see that we need to decide to repent, but it has a limited window. Verse 5, after Zechariah makes the clear statement, they would not pay attention to me, declares the Lord. Verse 5 says, where are your forefathers now? And the prophets, do they live forever? Now think about what is being shared here. What the prophet Zechariah is saying clearly to the people is this. Look, your forefathers lived for the immediate. They wanted to enhance their personal lives. They wanted to experience all of the riches and cut any corner that was required to receive whatever they wanted. They were selfish, but they were foolish. But what happened? Those forefathers died and they're in eternity. Isn't it amazing how quickly life passes us by? When we're young, we think, oh man, life goes on forever. But then as you age and they put the calendar on turbocharge, you find that months and years pass so quickly. And I don't care how old you are, you talk to an elderly person, and I have to watch this, but we'll say in their late 90s, there, how's that? Is that safe? All of them will say, I can't believe how fast life went. All of them. If we're investing in the things of this world, for the moment, that moment comes to an end. It closes. So when the Word of God says, where are your forefathers? He's saying, they're in eternity now. What did all of that sin accomplish but a moment? And then that moment's gone. Furthermore, for the forefathers who were taken captive by the Babylonians, read the book of Lamentations. Read the book of Jeremiah and see some of the descriptions of the siege of Israel by the Babylonians. It's awful, just flat-out awful what they went through because of the siege. The forefathers who said, I'm going to cut corners and sin and live for myself, didn't even get to experience all of the things that they had anticipated that they would experience. It was snatched away in a moment. Where are your forefathers now? When we live for the moment, when we look at the temporal, it's a foolish path to follow. Jesus said this, What good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet forfeit his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? Sobering words. So the call that Zechariah is giving in this text is, don't live for the moment. Don't live like your forefathers. But you know, not only were the forefathers gone, look at what else we find. Verse 5 says, And the prophets, do they live forever? Now, while the prophets live for eternal things, I think what Zechariah is really pointing to in this text is something different. 
we have a limited window to hear the invitation of God. The prophets had a ministry that lasted but for a while. And then that window closed. And as a result, the people no longer had an opportunity to respond. Prophet after prophet after prophet said, if you don't repent, God will send a conquering nation into your nation and you will experience the consequences for your sin. So what happened? Eventually there was that generation that experienced that very thing. All of the warnings of the prophets had come to a close. And now what they had been warning about was coming home to roost. We need to understand that we don't have forever to make a decision to be a follower of God. We have a limited time, a limited window to get this right. And so the Scripture repeatedly, Old Testament and New Testament, talks about now being the time to make a decision for God, to be a follower of God. Not putting it off in the distant future, but responding right now. Final thought. The decrees of the Lord overtake the disobedient. Look at verse 6. In verse 6 it says, But did not my words and my decrees, which I commanded my servants, the prophets, overtake your forefathers? All of these people who were living for themselves, all of these people who were setting these terrible examples, finally, there came that time where the word of God that had been prophesied by the people of God, the prophets of God, so consistently, so clearly, eventually those words came to be experienced. Why? Because of God's decree. The prophet Isaiah said this, So is my word that goes out from my mouth, and this is God speaking, it will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve, achieve the purpose for which I sent it. When God says something, it's going to take place. And that's why it's called a decree. When Zechariah says, Did not my words and decrees which I commanded my servants, the prophets, overtake your forefathers? We have to think about what he means by not only his words, but by his decrees. You know what the word in the original Hebrew that's translated decrees here means? Originally, it meant carven granite or carven stone. It was a command that a king would give, and when he decreed something, it would surely happen. It was law. Now, that's just a human king. This is God Almighty. So when he said to the children of Israel, continue down that path, continue in the direction you're going, and you will face terrible consequences, God meant every word of it. And all of the power of the Almighty would see to the fulfillment of his word. We need to understand that the same God who utters the words that we found fulfilled in the Old Testament utters words that will be fulfilled in our time as well. He is God Almighty. 
So as followers of God, we dare not push it aside. When the Scripture says that these words and decrees overtook the forefathers, overtake is a hunting term. It means to pursue, to go after an animal until it's subdued. So what he's saying of the forefathers is this. Look, eventually my words overtook them. They thought they could outrun them. They thought that they would die before they came to fruition and some other generation would have to deal with it. But it overtook them in the midst of their sin. Listen, we have no control over where our sin leads us. In the midst of sin that we think that we're getting away with, God can say it's time to bear the consequences. We don't know. We can't control it. So there's a solution. Repent. Look at the last part of the sixth verse. Some of the forefathers repented. There was a remnant that responded to God, and this is what it says. Then they repented and said, The Lord Almighty has done to us what our ways and practices deserve, just as he determined to do. For the forefathers, some of them went into captivity in Babylon. They saw the horrors of the Babylonian army storming the walls of Jerusalem, of killing and taking slaves. They were deported to what is now modern-day Iraq. And there they served as slaves, a people with no land. And in the midst of all that had come down on them because of their sin, they repented. They were invited to repent time and time and time again. But like so many of us, we have to wait until we're knocked down to respond. And that's what some of them did. Now, what we need to take away from this is this truth. When they responded, they didn't suddenly get transported from Babylon back to Israel. They realized that that wouldn't take place. Their primary objective is, I want to get right with God. I'm not looking to be delivered from what I'm experiencing now as the result of my own sin. My chief objective is, I want to be right with God. I want to repent and turn to him. And really, when we look in Scripture, that's when we know that we're serious about turning to God and worshiping him with our lives as we should. David said this, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. How do we know that we have 
a broken and contrite heart and a broken spirit. You see, rather than these people saying, oh God, what you've brought on us is too much. We don't deserve this. This is overkill. Rather than saying that, look at what they say. Last part of the sixth verse. The Lord Almighty has done to us what our ways and practices deserve, just as he determined to do. A broken and contrite heart says, I made this bed. Now I'll sleep in it. But I will turn to God and humbly ask him to forgive me and to be with me as I endure the consequences of my sin. Now, sometimes God delivers us from the consequences, but sometimes he allows us to experience the sting of our consequences. But all of those are temporal. Here's what we must realize. The most important thing that we can do is have an intimate, close, obedient relationship with God the Father. That's it. That's what truly counts. The things that happen in this world last for a minute, just a moment in time when you compare it to human existence and certainly when you compare it to eternity. We're a blip. The decisions that I make about how I will follow God, though, have eternal ramifications. But I've never come into a relationship with God. Those eternal ramifications can mean an eternal separation from God, becoming a resident of hell for eternity. That's something that I have to factor in to my decision about whether I will have a relationship with God or not. For the child of God, once you have trusted Christ as Savior, you have a relationship with God. The Almighty holds you and protects you in that relationship. But we can accomplish eternal things as we serve God. And we can find that the things that we do in service to God will go on and on and on and last forever. But the things that I do for self just last a moment. So like this call that Zechariah gives to the children of Israel, return to me and I will return to you. I think that is a call to all generations. Don't follow the path of a downward spiral that will only grow worse as you have a path away from God. But redirect, turn to the path that follows God and see God do amazing things in your life as he returns to you. May God teach us to learn from history so that we won't be doomed to repeat it. Let's pray. <clears throat>